ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تريدن باب قوله تعالى ولقد سبقت كلمتنا لعبادنا المرسلين قال حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني مالك عن أبي الزناد عن الأعرج عن أبي هريرة رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لما قضى الله الخلق كتب عنده فوق عرشه إن رحمتي سبقت غضبي This chapter as you remember it was going through some of the names and attributes of Allah in particular here it was about the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so what you'll see here now in these narrations also are evidences regarding the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the narration here it says again that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لما قضى الله الخلق كتب عنده فوق عرشه إن رحمتي سبقت غضبي هذا أيضا مما سبق من كلماته عز وجل ما كتبه في أن رحمته سبقت غضبه ومعنى الحديث أنه إذا حصل فعل يكون سببا للرحمة وسببا للغضب فإن الرحمة تسبق الغضب ويرحم الله سبحانه وتعالى بها من شاء ذلافت الله سبحانه وتعالى decreed or created the creation he wrote with him that uh, uh, above the throne that indeed my mercy precedes my anger that my mercy comes before my anger meaning as a shaykh al-athimin says if there was an action done by someone which could lead or be a cause for mercy and an action that could be a cause for anger then in that circumstance the mercy of Allah comes before the anger of Allah so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that mercy before the anger the point being clearly from that hadith an affirmation of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also the fact that Allah's mercy precedes Allah's anger and this comes back into line with what we mentioned before or what we mentioned before comes into line with this and that was regarding how everything 
is always balanced for a believer between fear and hope and love. Everything is always balanced between them, between fear and hope and love. The mistake that some of the people of innovation make is that they go to extremes in one of those factors. So you have, for example, the Sufiya who go to an extreme when it comes to love. And they say, we don't worship Allah because of paradise or uh, because of our desire for paradise. We worship Allah because of our great love for Allah, that's it. And then you have the Khawarij when it comes to an extreme in fear that anybody committing a major sin, etc., in the hellfire forever will not be forgiven. And then you have the Murji'ah on the extreme in the hope that you commit sins, it does not impact upon you as long as you are a mu'min. You are safe as long as you are a mu'min. Extreme in the hope. And this now, when it talks about the mercy of Allah coming before the anger, it should not be misunderstood like some of the people of innovation misunderstand these types of narrations in saying, therefore, whatever sins you commit and whatever wrongs you do, then they say, but look, Allah's mercy. Allah is the merciful one. Allah will forgive. Allah will forgive. Allah is the merciful. Allah's mercy comes before his anger. So whenever they commit sins and they do wrongs, they start talking like that. Is what they are saying correct? Yes, it is. Allah is the merciful. And Allah does have mercy. However, as Ahlul Sunnah, we balance between hope in the mercy of Allah and fear from the punishment of Allah. So yes, Allah has mercy and is merciful and we have hope in the mercy of Allah. But at the same time, Allah has mentioned He is Shadeedul Iqab. He is severe in His punishment. So we have fear of that too. You do not behave in a manner where you say, but we have hope in the mercy of Allah. We have hope in the mercy of Allah. Allah forgives. Allah will have mercy. That's good. Yes, it's true. But do not be negligent and forget that Allah is severe in His punishment too. Don't go to either extreme. You don't go to the extreme of fear. Whenever you commit sins, whenever you do wrongs, then the depression overcomes you that I'm finished. I've done this and I've done that and there's no way back. And you have gone to an extreme in your fear of the consequences and you have lost hope in the mercy of Allah. So neither do you go to that extreme of extreme fear, forgetting and neglecting the mercy of Allah and that Allah forgives. And neither do you go to the extreme of your hope in the mercy of Allah to justify your sins and to neglect the fear of the punishment of Allah. The believer balances between the love and the hope and the fear 
balancing between those affairs. And that's why Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala said, those affairs are like a bird. The love is the head of the bird. And then the two wings are the hope and the fear. So without that being in proportion and balance, the bird cannot fly. Without the head, the bird cannot fly dead. Without one of the wings, the bird cannot fly. So the believer is always balanced in those affairs. Except when it comes to the time of death. At the time of death, you should give a bit more towards the side of hope. Then you have hope in Allah. That Allah will forgive you for your shortcomings. Allah will forgive you for the wrongs that you've done. Will forgive you for the errors that you fell into. Then you have more towards the hope at that final moment. Then you have the narration where Imam al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا آدَمْ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا شُعْبَةِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْأَعْمَشِ سَمِعْتُ زَيْدَ بْنَ وَهْبٍ سَمِعْتُ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بْنَ مَسْعُودِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ قَالْ حَدَّثَنَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو صادق المصدوق إِنَّ خلق أحدكم يجمع في بطن أمه أربعين يوما وأربعين ليلة ثم يكون علقة مثله ثم يكون مرغة مثله ثم يبعث إليه الملك فيؤذن بأربع كلمات فيكتب رزقه وأجله وعمله وشقي أم سعيد ثم ينفخ فيه الروح فإن أحدكم لا يعمل بعمل أهل الجنة حتى لا يكون بينها وبينه إلا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل النار فيدخل النار وإن أحدكم ليعمل بعمل أهل النار حتى ما يكون بينها وبينه إلا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل أهل الجنة فيدخلها This حديث which is a more common narration because it is mentioned within the 40 hadith of al-imam al-nawawi this is one of the narrations that is mentioned within the 40 hadith of al-imam al-nawawi so more of the people will have come across this particular narration it is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu where he says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam informed them that indeed inna khalqa ahadikum that the formation of one of you the formation of one of you it is 
put together in the womb of your mother. The formation of one of you is put together in the womb of his mother. Forty days and forty nights. It begins the formation and that life within the form of the within the womb of the mother for forty days and forty nights. Then after that, it then becomes an alaqatan. Alaqatan a clot of blood. But it becomes in the formation of a clot of blood in that early stage. As they say, a morsel of flesh. It then becomes in the form of flesh. Then an angel is sent to that formation being created now in the womb of the mother. So at what stage is the angel sent? How many days have we gone through now? The initial formation occurs for 40 days and 40 nights. Then there is a period of 40 days as a clot of blood coming together. Then there is a period of 40 days where it becomes into flesh. So now we're at the stage of 120 days, which is three months. MashaAllah. That is three months. Your name is brother? So, that is four months. That's why the scholars, they say, the rulings regarding the child in the womb of the mother, the 120-day mark, the four months mark approximately, is the boundary where the rulings change. The rulings, the Islamic rulings to the unborn child, they change dramatically at that marker, at the four-month marker. Because at the four-month marker, that is when the angel is sent to that child growing in the womb of his mother. And the angel then does what? Is given permission to write down four statements. To write down what the sustenance, the provisions of that child will be. What the sustenance, the provisions of that child will be. Similarly, what the lifespan of that child will be. Similarly, whether that child, or before that, the actions of the child also, the sustenance of the child, the lifespan of the child, the actions of the child, and وَشَقِيٌّ أَمْ سَعِيدٌ From the miserable or from the happy. That child, if he will be, his actions will be determining him from the miserable or from the happy. So that is a mini decree 
that is written for every individual whilst you are still in the womb of your mother at the four-month mark. That mini-decree that writes down your lifespan, how long you will live, writes down your sustenance, what will be your risk in your lifetime, all written for you at that four-month mark when you are in the womb of your mother. What will be your, your sustenance and your provisions written for you? That's why the scholars, they say, you should never fear anybody stealing your rizq. Never fear anybody stealing your rizq. It cannot occur. What has been written and apportioned for you, then that is there, written and apportioned for you, and it will come to you. So your rizq for your lifetime and what you will be given is written for you. Your actions and your deeds are written. Shaqiyun am Sa'id from the miserable or the happy. All of these details are written for you at that time. Of course, they are details that are already known and in the preserved tablet. That's why they say this decree is only a subsection. You have the overall decree. The overall decree of everything that was written. 50,000 years before the creation of the heavens and the earth. Then there are subsections of that same decree that occur at certain times. This is one of them. This is one of those subsections. Also other subsections like Laylatul Qadr, the night of decree, the subsection of the decree for that year written on the night of decree. And also... This is the life decree of every individual. There is the night of decree, the decree for the year, and also Al-Mahfud is the overall decree. Laylatul Qadr, we just mentioned it. The daily decree as well, and all of those are subsections of the decree. So all of that is written at the four-month mark, and then that the angel then blows the soul into that child. That is why you have the rulings of Islam changing at the four-month mark. Before the four-month mark, that child does not have a soul blown into it yet. After the four-month mark, that child now has a soul blown into it. So the rulings, they differ. So for example, if a woman had a miscarriage before that marker, before the four months, then the rulings are completely different to a miscarriage after the four months. Prior to the four months, the soul has not been blown in. So in that case, if a miscarriage occurs, it is not required to do any of the normal sunnah actions for a newborn. It is not required to do any proper janazah, to do any proper shrouding, washing janazah, prayer. None of that is required for a miscarriage that occurs prior to the four-month mark because the soul has not been blown into that child. But after the four-month mark, 
Then many of the scholars say, now the soul is blown into that child, and if the formation has now begun to occur in the body of the child, if a miscarriage occurs then, the proper procedures can be carried out in terms of the Islamic procedures of the janazah. So you have that difference at that four-month mark, because that is when the soul is blown into the child. All the other issues as well, issues of medical requirement of abortion. Abortion is one of those issues where there is very little, very restricted, very restricted, limited room for maneuver in. They say, some scholars mention, it is absolutely impermissible to have an abortion, even if the doctors say, if you don't have it, then you will die. Some scholars say, even in that case, very simply because, well, that too, but of course, they say it's a life and a life. What gives the mother more right to her life than the child? What gives the mother more right to her life than the child? If it means that the doctors are telling you, you will die if you carry on with this pregnancy. Some of the scholars, they said, that's just the decree how it is. You don't know if it's going to happen for definite anyway yet. And if it did occur, then it's not an issue that's arisen. Because now, what is it to say that the mother had more right to live than the child anyway? If that happened, if it happened in the end and the mother did end up dying from that uh, birth, from that childbirth, the scholars say that's not an issue. It's not like anybody can say, told you, should have had the abortion. They say, why? What would have given the right or the more right for the mother to live than the child? Then you were saying, abort, so you're going to kill the child to save the mother. In the end, the decree has turned out that the mother has died, but the child has lived. So what gives you more right to say the mother should live and the child should die? Some scholars say, none. You have no right to say that. So some scholars don't allow it at all. Other scholars, they say, in extreme situations like that, if it is prior to the four-month mark, and the doctors say, with, and they always mention, has to be multiple reliable Muslim doctors. Multiple reliable specialist Muslim doctors. They tell you that you cannot carry on with this pregnancy. There is a severe, if not almost, almost, you cannot say definite, but almost definite and likely threat to your life if you carry on with it. Prior to the four months, then some scholars give the leniency in that. They give the leniency in that then prior to the four-month mark when that situation or that scenario arises. So, there are different topics anyway. But here, it mentions that at the four-month mark, that is when the soul is blown into that child. Before we move on from the narration, let's have a look at some of the points as Shaykh al has mentioned regarding that. So, 
ان خلق احدكم يجمع في بطن امه 40 يوما و40 ليله يجمع الجمع ضد التفريق وذلك ان الحيوانات المنويه في النطفه الواحده كثيره جدا تجمع هذه لمده 40 يوما نطفه ثم بعد ذلك ثم يكون علاقه يتحول هذا المني الى علاقه So here the Shaykh, he talks about that procedure that is mentioned in the hadith of how the pregnancy develops in the womb of the mother, how it forms initially from that sperm and the egg, and then it becomes the clot of blood and then the flesh upon it, and it develops in that way. And there are more narrations, in fact, that talk about these topics and give details of it. Narrations that talk about how do you get the appearance that you get. Do you go after your mother or do you go after your father as they say. And there are narrations mentioning that. How that occurs. How a child goes after his father or goes after his mother in appearance. There's a hadith that mentions that when the liquid of the father meets with the liquid of the mother, meaning the sperm with the egg, or the, the liquids when they meet, if it is the liquid of the man that overwhelms and reaches certain areas first, then it will be upon the appearance of the father, the child. But if the liquids of the, of the female internally at that time of conception, the liquids of the female overwhelm, etc., then it is upon the appearance of the mother. That's mentioned in a hadith from 1400 years ago. So that is something from the miracles of the Prophet ﷺ to explain to us in that level of detail the intricacies of how the pregnancy works and how the meeting of the liquids occurs and how the appearance of the child is affected whether upon the father's appearance or the mother's appearance. So... After that, then it mentions about the angel being sent and being commanded to write down those four things. To write down the lifespan of that child, how long you will live, your date of death, your time of death, your place of death is written unknown. Written unknown before you even exited out onto this world. Similarly, your rizq, your sustenance and your provisions where it will come from, how it will come to you, what trade you'll be in, where you will achieve that sustenance from, how much, everything, all of that written for you. So, that's why the scholars say, don't worry about losing your rizq. You will not lose your rizq. What was apportioned for you, you will get. So that business deal didn't work out and you didn't get the 30,000 you were expecting, Last gone, not to fear. It was never written for you, you're going to get that 30,000. That was never apportioned for you in your risk. The rest of it, you've got a shop now, you're the only one on that street with that particular shop. With the, the phone shop or the grocery shop, you're the only one on the street in that area. Then all of a sudden, two other traders come along, they open up the same type of shop on the same street. Nothing to worry about. You carry on. You make dua that Allah makes you successful and your business successful. 
and we carry on. You have nothing to worry about them stealing your market share or your risk. Whatever was written for you, you'll get. They will not take. So the angel writes down those deeds of an individual, his rizq, and then on top of that, his actions. What will his actions be? Will they be righteous actions of this individual? Will they be corrupt actions of this individual? And in the end, will he be from the miserable or will he be from the happy? Meaning, will he be from the people of hellfire, miserable? Or will he be from the people of paradise, from the happy? So all of that is written down already. Lakin, هَلْ نَحْنُ عِنْدَنَا عِلْمٌ بِالْمَكْتُوبَ Do we have any knowledge of what has been written down? لا, لَيْسَ عِنْدَنَا عِلْمٌ بِمَا يُكْتَبْ We do not have knowledge of what has been written down. أَمَّا الْمَلَكَ الْمُوَكَّلْ بِذَلِكَ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمٌ متى يموت هذا الرجل وكيف رزقه وكيف أجله وكيف عمله وكيف مآله The angel writes all of that down The angel knows that What it's written down for this person But we do not know فأما الملك الموكل بذلك عنده علم متى يموت هذا الرجل وكيف رزقه وكيف أجله وكيف عمله وكيف مآله لكن نحن ليس عندنا علم ولهذا لا يمكن لأحد أن يحتج بهذا الحديث وما شابهه على معصية الله This is basically the point of the decree So now we know all of the decree is already written What we're going to do in our lifetimes whether righteous actions or badness It's all written down Whether we're going to be in paradise or hell All written down so in that case, somebody may say, if everything is already written down, and it's already written down whether I'm in paradise or hell, it's already written, it's going to happen. Then what's the point of me trying? If somebody says that, then how do you respond? That's one issue, and there's another one the Sheikh has mentioned, but that's the first. If somebody says it's all written down anyway, if it's already written down, I'm a person of paradise, I'll end up in paradise. If it's already written down, done, I'm going to be a person of hell, then that's it. What's the point of me trying now then? So what do you say? Huh? Make dua and then what? Huh? You have a choice to do good or bad. But it's already written down. Whether you're going to do good or bad. So the point is, like we said, that it is written down. It is written down. It is written, your place in paradise or your place in hell. Do we know what is written for us though? Does every individual know what has been written for him? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what has been written for us individually. Therefore, if you don't know what's been written for you, then all you can do right now is strive to the best of your ability to make sure you do what you can do to remain upon the people of paradise. You don't know what has been written for you otherwise, so all you can do is strive 
and ensure that you make the choices of righteousness throughout your life. Because remember, even though it's been written, it has been written, and Allah has given us choice in this world. We have choice. Choice to do good or choice to do bad. Allah already knows what every one of us during our lifetimes is going to choose. Allah already knows what every one of us in our lifetimes is going to choose. Hence, it is already written whether we're going to be people of paradise or hell, because Allah already knows what choices we're going to make during our lives. We, at this moment in time, before you make any given choice, do not know what choice you are going to make yet. You don't know what's going to happen yet. There's a bottle of alcohol in front of you. Has it been written in the decree you're going to drink this alcohol today or not? Right now you don't know. So right now you're going to make a choice as to whether to drink it or get rid of it. You're going to make that choice prior to the action happening. Allah's given you that. وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَن يَشَاءَ اللَّهُ رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ you do not will anything except that Allah has willed it first. Meaning Allah already knows the choice you're going to make. And Allah has already decreed that. But you at that moment, you are making that choice yourself. That's why you will be held accountable upon your actions. That's why it brings you to the second point. You can never use the decree as an evidence upon ma'asiyah. Upon sinning. If you commit a sin... You commit a sin afterwards, can you say, well, it's not my fault. Yesterday I committed that sin, but obviously it was written in the decree that yesterday I was going to do that sin. Was it written in the decree yesterday you were going to do that sin? Absolutely it was. So can that person not just use that justification right there? It was written in the decree I was going to do that sin yesterday. Why are you blaming me? It must have been written in the decree he was going to do it. Otherwise, he would never have been able to do it. So now he's got a good justification. What are you going to tell him? How are you going to respond to somebody who says that he drank alcohol yesterday, he did it. But it was the decree. It was written in the decree he was going to drink alcohol, he tells you. Couldn't have done it otherwise. Whatever Allah wills occurs. Whatever Allah does not will cannot occur. It was in the decree he was going to drink alcohol yesterday. He says, why is that my fault then? Why are you blaming me? Something that was in the decree written for me that I was going to end up drinking alcohol yesterday and that's what happened. What are you going to say to him? Prior to the action occurring, he did not know whether it was written in the decree he was going to do that or not. He chose to do it. He committed the sin. Now he can't say, oh, okay, it was written in the decree then. Yes, it was. But prior to you doing it, you chose to do it. If it wasn't like that, if it wasn't like that, and you were compelled to just do what's in the decree, and it wasn't your fault what you end up doing and what you don't end up doing, then what would the accountability be upon on the Day of Judgment? then it wouldn't be an accountability. That is the people of innovation telling you, 
we are like feathers in the wind whatever is decreed we have to do that's that's the path written for us if it's written for somebody the path of evil that's what he's gonna be upon it's not his fault and that is incorrect because a person doing that evil through his lifetime every time he does an act of evil he is the one choosing to do that evil he could easily decide no and walk away but he doesn't he chooses to go and do the evil so that's the thing it is written down everything is written down Allah knows whether you're gonna make the choices of good during your life or the choices of bad and so it's already written down whether you're a person of paradise or hell but you during your lifetime are making the choice of obedience or disobedience every time of obedience to Allah or disobedience to Allah as you go along in your lifetime you have that choice Allah has given you so you cannot say after you do a sin okay it was decreed then yes it was but before it happened before that sin happened you didn't know it was decreed yet you did it you chose to do it then afterwards you can't say okay it was decreed prior to you doing it you didn't know it was decreed it could have easily been that you chose not to do it you could have chosen not to do it so you can never use the decree as a proof and there's that famous narration they always quote about the man who used to drink alcohol at the time of Umar ibn Khattab some of the narrations say one of the other Khalifas that he used to drink alcohol all the time and whenever they used to catch him they used to bring him to the Khalifa and then on one occasion again he got caught and they brought him to the Khalifa he said look it's not my fault that man who drank the alcohol he said look it's not my fault if I ended up drinking alcohol yesterday or this morning again it was decreed was it not decreed it was decreed but he's trying to use this same argument and we know the answer is but before you picked it up and drank it you chose to do it so you can't use that argument it was decreed so anyway they said to him okay it was decreed it was decreed you were gonna drink alcohol so then they got the whip and they whipped him and they said it was decreed you were gonna get whipped today nothing we can do it was decreed you were gonna get whipped today so you cannot use that as an evidence that's the point the sheikh makes here then moving on it mentions how the soul is blown into that child one of the points of aqidah regarding the soul is that the soul never dies the soul never dies never comes into non-existence like that the soul simply transfers from one state to another so when that soul is blown into the child the soul is with you now in the womb after the child is born the soul is now also transferred with you out into this world then when you die the soul doesn't die it simply transfers and carries on over into the barzakh then the day of judgment resurrection the soul simply transfers over into the afterlife the soul just carries on and in the end it will just be or you will be in the paradise or in the hell thereafter so the soul simply carries on 
transferring from one state to another in the womb, in this world, in the barzakh, in the afterlife. The soul doesn't die. So what is death then? The soul doesn't die. What is death? We've given a definition of this before. The definition of death is basically the separation of the soul from the body in a more permanent way. Because there is a temporary separation of the soul from the body which occurs when you sleep. That's why sleeping is known as minor death. Al-Wafat uh, 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 al Or there's another word, but the minor death. The minor death. Because the soul separates from your body. But when the, the major separation occurs, that's when it doesn't come back to you again in this world. Doesn't come back to you again in this world. Transfers over into the barzakh. That is then death. So that is the soul that is blown into this individual, into this person. What is the soul in, in effect? What is the soul? It is something unknown to us. The soul, what is this entity of the soul? It is unknown to us. But the scholars do say it is a standalone entity. The soul is some type of standalone entity. It is an entity, the soul. But how and what, the details of that we don't know. But they say it is qa'imun binafsiha, something which is a standalone, independent, if you want to say, entity of some sort. That is all within us, that is blown within us at that time when we are born. One point to mention here as well, from one of the things which is in the knowledge of the unseen mentioned in the Quran, is what is in the wombs of the mothers. In the ayah of the Quran, it mentions the knowledge of the unseen and the types of things that are from the unseen. One of them, what is within the wombs of the mothers. Now people may say that is no longer a knowledge of the unseen. Because from as early as in the first few weeks they can do scans and they can see exactly what's going on in the womb or throughout they can do scans and see the development of that baby. They can even tell you from before the baby is born with the scans there's a deficiency, the hand isn't growing properly, this isn't happening, that isn't happening, the lungs aren't developing, everything they can tell you on these scans now. So has that now taken away what is in the wombs of the mothers from being one of the categories of the knowledge of the unseen. It's in the Quran, knowledge of the unseen, one of the categories, what is in the wombs of the mothers. But with all of this technology now, how do we understand that? What is in the wombs of the mothers being from the unseen then? So it is not just the physical sight, that you can see with the scans. But it is all these details, no matter what scan they do, can they tell you when that child will die exactly? Can they tell you what the deeds and the actions of that child will be? They can't tell you any of these details, what the rizq of that child will be. So it is all still from the unseen regarding that child. So then that soul is blown in.
Then the final section of the hadith it mentions about your actions. And we'll round off on this section before the prayer. That when one of you does your actions, you may do actions that are in line for you to enter paradise. You're doing everything that is expected of a person who would enter paradise. Until it says there's nothing left between you and paradise other than an arm span. Meaning you're practically in paradise. You're there. You've done everything that needs to be done. The obedience, the actions, the worship. You are practically at paradise. But then at the last moment, At the last moment something occurs, some decree upon you, something you do, and you end up doing the action of the actions of the people of hellfire and end up in there. For example, a person upon obedience during his lifetime, but at the end, you know, at the end he, for example, apostates, commits some shirk, commits some kufr at the end of his lifetime, which nullifies all of his uh, iman, and therefore at the end he ends up in hellfire. And the other way around too, maybe a person all of his life is upon the evil, such that his actions are of the actions of the one who would enter Hellfire, until he's practically in hellfire. And then right at the end again, yes, kitab that the decree it changes with him and he does something from the actions of the people of paradise. Perhaps at the end of his lifetime he becomes a Muslim, accepts the religion, takes the shahada, and therefore ends up in paradise. And that's why an individual consistently, persistently, strives with da'wah da'wah to your family to your relatives with patience the prophet ﷺ continued with his uncle abu talib up until death maybe he would accept but he didn't he tried with the jewish boy who used to come and help him right up until that last moment and he did accept upon his deathbed so it is not known what is written for an individual like that you continue, you strive, you persist with the da'wah to your families, to your relatives, to your neighbors. Perhaps they are not Muslim, some of them. Continue and strive in giving them da'wah. And inshallah ta'ala, you never know what is written for an individual at the end. We'll have to round off there then for the prayer. We'll carry on with the next section from next week. Timings are slightly complicated now because of the prayers changing, but next week it will be roughly about 8.15 roughly 8.15 p.m. for next week uh, and then soon when the prayers uh, winter times become settled then the uh, the time for the class will become settled inshallah but next week just after 8 o'clock just after 8 o'clock by a short time inshallah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in